Thank you for the great sacrifice. Father, tonight as we look at Calvary and we remember the sacrifice you made, Lord, fillet our hearts, unveil it before us, and let us see it. And Lord, let us fall on our knees in humility and just say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice at the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 You may have a seat. So it's Good Friday. I always wondered many years as a believer, why do they call it Good Friday? Why why do they call it Good Friday? This is a day that we all remember Christ's crucifixion. We, we, We remember his great sacrifice for us. This was the day, this is the day that we remember. This was how God, the Father, dealt with sin. He dealt with sin. One of the most challenging Bible verses I have ever read is found in Galatians 3.13. And in Galatians 3.13, it says, Jesus became a curse. That, only, that just strikes me. Like, how do you, why do you? I, don't, I had a hard time understanding that verse. It said, Jesus became a curse. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Cursed is he who, who's hung on a pole, in some translations say. But Jesus became a curse. The cross demonstrates to us the depth of how far we had fallen. How far humanity had fallen into sin. And the cross reveals God's love for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he brings us up. By, by the cross, you're brought into this new and living relationship with God. You're, 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 you're forgiven completely at the cross. See, there's nothing you or I can do to be forgiven. Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. It is done. It is finished at the cross. And this day we remember that event. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He, talking about the Father, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We call it the great exchange. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you put your faith in him, and you receive him into your life, he takes your filthy garments and he places it on Christ, and then he takes Christ's righteousness and he places it on you. He places it on you. So he looks at you through his son, Jesus. And he looks at you as being perfect, holy, and blameless. Not because of what you've done, but what because Christ has done. That, that day, you know, we call it Good Friday. It was not a good day for the followers of Christ. I want to take you back 2,000 years ago. I want you to do your very best to... Look at it through the eyes of the disciples and the, and the ladies as they were at the hill of Golgotha seeing their Savior, the one they had followed. They, 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 they hung on every word he said. And now he's being destroyed. It was shock and awe. It was worse than 9-11. They were paralyzed in fear. They were perplexed. They were crushed. It was their worst nightmare. You see, they had clung to every word he spoke. And they followed him wholeheartedly with all their heart. This is Israel's Messiah. This is going to be the one that brings the kingdom in. The disciples argued about who's going to sit on the left, who's going to sit on the right. 
They were rejoicing that finally the tyranny of Rome was going to be removed from Israel. And they were going to be liberated. And that's what the disciples were looking forward to. But then on this Good Friday, actually on a Thursday evening, Jesus had dinner with the disciples. Later that night he got arrested. Into Friday, it was a horror show. It was a horror show for the disciples. And so they, they followed him. They listened to him. They, they, they hung on every word he spoke. That's why we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it gives us the complete picture of Christ and his words, his deeds, his actions. It's, it's like looking at Jesus from four different angles and capturing every glimpse of his works and his deeds. So I can't help but to think of the disciples and Mary Magdalene and Mary and those other ladies sitting from a distance, maybe behind a rock, maybe behind a wall, uh, maybe in a valley there by Golgotha, and watching Jesus, the one they put their hopes in, die on the cross. And I can't help but to think that, that they soaked in, that, that they took in every word he spoke from the cross. So tonight, we want to briefly look at the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. Every single Bible verse has meaning, has theological meaning. It, it can be expounded on, can be preached on, can be taught on. And the same thing can be said of Jesus' last words on the cross. So let's look closely at those seven statements in light of what the whole entire Bible teaches so that we have a good systematic theology and understanding of what Christ was saying at the cross. So statement number one is found in Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's interesting. Jesus, the Son of God, he's on the cross. He's deity. He's God. He's 100% God, 100% man. And what's he doing? He's praying. And who's he praying for? He's praying for the Roman soldiers that are crucifying him. He's praying for the Roman soldiers that are nailing the spikes into his hand and his feet. The, the Roman soldiers that, that whipped him and beat him. He's praying for them on the cross. That's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. But here's the cool thing about this statement. The first statement that Christ made on the cross. The Father answered his prayer. In Mark chapter 15, verse 39. This, uh, Mark tells us, When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died... He said this, and it was a statement of faith by the Roman centurion. He says, surely this man was the son of God. What does this verse teach us? What does this statement teach us in 2021? It teaches us on one of the core foundations of Christianity, and that is forgiveness. You and I need to be a forgiving people because God has forgiven us. Because you've experienced God's grace, and you've experienced his forgiveness and his complete pardon, folks, we got, we got to hand it down. And we got to be forgiving those around us, within the body, outside the body, everywhere, all around us. Let's follow Christ's example as he's on the cross, and let's demonstrate forgiveness in this world. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that verse is a, is a statement of what I just told you. It's, it's, it's us demonstrating that forgiveness that God has demonstrated to us. So, second statement. There's two criminals on the cross. 
One to the left, one to the right. One mocks, one believes. The first criminal, he hurls abuse at Christ. He makes statements like, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. The second criminal, though, he rebukes the first criminal, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, this thief to the left and right of Jesus on the cross, they represent all humanity. People either reject Christ or they accept Christ. They follow him or, or they don't follow him. We need to make sure we're on the side of the cross with the criminal that says, Lord, I believe. I trust you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I say to you, you will be in paradise. This statement in 2021, the application for this second statement of Christ is heaven is a real place. He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I've gone to prepare a place. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again. Paul talks about in Corinthians, he says, uh, I know a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, but such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Revelations chapter 21 says, it talks about the new Jerusalem. Folks, there is a real place above called heaven. It's geographical location, I'm not sure. I don't know. But the promise of scripture is it is above. And that's the promise that we have of heaven. The second thing, notice he says there, truly I say to you today, um, you will be with me in paradise. Second uh, principle that this statement makes, the uh, principle that this makes, is that it, it, it disproves the, the theory of soul sleep that when we pass away, we sleep for indefinite period of time, and then we wake up. No, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, death for the believer is just a little blip. It's just a little blip in time. But when we breathe our last breath, we wake up in glory. That's heaven. And that's what he's saying in the second statement. That's what he's saying to us today. Truly, I say today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is a real place. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul talks about in Philippians, he's wrestling. He says, he says I want to stay here and help the church, but I want to go home to be with the Lord. And he says, to go home and be with the Lord is by far greater. So there was this wrestling in Paul's life throughout his missionary journeys. He wanted to stay here. He wanted to advance the kingdom. But in his heart of hearts, he's like, man, I can't wait to see Christ in glory. So we wrap that all around the second statement of Christ. The third statement, the third statement of Christ. This is a beautiful, mm, it, just, it just echoes with God's grace. I love this one. But the third statement Jesus made on the cross is found in John 19, 26. In John 19, 26, it says, When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to the woman, looking at his mother, Mary, um, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, talking about John, he said, Behold your mother. What is happening here in this verse? What is taking place uh, theologically in this verse. In this verse right here, at this very moment at the cross there at Calvary, as Mary is looking on as her son is being crucified, the prophecy of Simeon is coming to pass. It's, the prophecy of Simeon is coming to pass. You see, they had went to the temple early in Jesus' life. And, and Simeon 
prophetically spoke to Mary in the temple is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through 35. Simeon says to Mary, this child, talking about Jesus, he blessed Jesus, dedicated him, excuse me. He said, this, t- this child is destined to cause the fall and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says these words to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul. At this very moment, as Mary, the mother of Jesus, is looking on at her Savior, a a, a sword is piercing her heart. A transformation is taking place in Mary's heart. A new relationship. A new relationship is forming at this very moment between Mary and Jesus. He is going from being her son to being her Lord. I believe in this moment she's experiencing salvation. She's understanding. She's seeing the, 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 the big picture. But this statement, and by the way, what are the last, just, just a little tidbit of information, what are the last recorded words in Scripture of Mary? Or all history, uh, in the Bible, outside the Bible. The last recorded words of Mary for all of history. She makes this statement, and then we never, ever hear from her again, was um, when Jesus turned water into wine, and she told the servants at the wedding, she says, and this is good advice, we need to listen to Mary. Mary says to the servants, whatever Jesus says, do it. So we do well to, to, pay, to pay attention to her words, but those are the last recorded words of her in all of history. But here, this statement you know, Jesus is taking care of mom. That's a good thing. This is Jesus taking care of his earthly mother. He's saying, John, you got the reins. Take care of her. Church history tells us in, in the, the 70 to 80 years after Christ's um, crucifixion and resurrection that Mary went on to live with John in Ephesus. And there she passed away. John was the only one of the 12 disciples who died of natural causes. And I find it interesting that all of them died a martyr's death except John. But who is John taking care of later in life? He's taking care of Mary. It was God's providence. Uh, It was God, it was Jesus' providence to take care of his earthly mother. What an amazing thing. But anyway, this verse, what does it speak to us today about Jesus? It speaks of God's love, God's compassion, and God's care. You know, God is a compassionate God. He is a caring God. He cares for you. He loves you. He, he, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail about you. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He, he knows where you go, what you do. He knows your needs. He knows your cares. That's why we need to cast all our cares upon him. And give all our troubles in life to the Lord. And and, and rest on him for everything. Because he cares for us. He cared. Jesus cared for Mary at the cross. He cares for you and me. The fourth statement. The fourth statement as he's hanging on the cross. Is found in Matthew 27, 46. It says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? What is happening here, Pastor David? What is this, my God, my God? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus here in this statement is expressing his feelings 
his feeling of abandonment as the father places on him the sin of the world. I don't know how many people's lived in history. I think I've recently read there's 7 billion people on planet earth. I don't know what the innumerable amount of people that's ever lived on this earth, but imagine a funnel the size of the universe is endless in every direction. And this funnel has all the sin and it all comes down to one little point. And that one little point was Calvary. All the sin that would, that would be bore, that would be done by people, the, the punishment for that sin was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, in this moment when he makes this statement, is experiencing the full and complete wrath of God for every sin ever committed. We call this substitutionary atonement. Uh, a great verse to study on substitutionary atonement is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which I read a while ago, which I'll read to you again, where it says, God made him who had knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Again, he was perfect. He didn't need forgiveness. But guess who did? Me and you and his people needed forgiveness. You see, this statement here, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's taking place here is he's, he's, is he's boring the punishment for our sin. This statement teaches us that Jesus was our lamb on the brazen altar of God's holiness. You see, in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice a lamb. And where was the lamb burnt? On the brazen altar. It was a sacrifice. It was a tomb that had to be made. Blood had to be taken into the Holy of Holies. And so Christ is our sacrifice for our sin. He is, is, is not by anything we do or good works or communion or um, going to church, giving, any type of Christian activity. None of those things forgive sins. What forgives sin is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Again, it's all the work of him. And there's nothing we can do but trust and believe and put our hope in him. So he is our sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. He's the one that paid the price. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. When you're a born-again Christian and you're trusting in Christ, God looks at you and he, he doesn't see that old you. He sees Christ in you. And, and, and you're, you're justified. You're made right with him. Let's look at the fifth statement. Fifth statement oh, is um, really great. John 19, 28, the fifth statement, of number five of seven. Jesus, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, he says, I am thirsty. Now we know when you look at, all, you look at the gospels, all four of them, he, he, he was offered wine and myrrh before the cross, before, he, before they crucified him, he was offered that and he rejected it. But then later on, they stuck a sponge up to his mouth and they, and, and they, they gave it to him. They, they thought, you know, they were waiting to see if Elijah was going to come and, and rescue him. And they were trying to preserve his life to see what supernatural thing might happen. So, so they, but he, but he says, I am thirsty. But I, I just wanted to bring up those two things. He has offered uh, wine twice. The first time it was wine with myrrh. Second time it was just uh, wine. But what is this statement? 
tell us about our Lord and Savior. It's a statement of physical suffering. It's a statement of physical suffering. See, Jesus is God. He is deity. He is eternal God, the second member of the Trinity. But at the same time, he's humanity. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. 100% God, 100% man. You don't understand it? Welcome to theology. Welcome, we're talking about God here. But again, the scripture teaches 100% God, 100% man. But in his humanity, in, in his, his physical being of who he is like us, experiencing emotions and feelings and pain, he was broken and poured out. He was broken and poured out. He physically suffered greatly at the cross. He was, in, in our day and age, you know, after a hard day's work, he was spent. He was spent. He was poured out. You know, there's only so far the human body can go. And Jesus went physically all the way for us. Man, he went all the way for you, family. He went all the way for me. Man, when you soak that in and you think about the depths of what God did to save you and to bring you into a relationship with him, is there anything he can't ask of us? Is there anything that we, that, is there any reason why we should say, no, Lord, I don't want to serve you or I don't want to do this, or, I don't want to do that. He has been so great to us. He went all the way to the end. He was poured out. He was extinguished. He went all the way to bring us back to the Father. This statement teaches us that God in the flesh, he gave his all. He gave his all for us at Calvary. And all he asked of us is to, is to give our life back to him. To, to just, and it really, that just means to surrender your life to Christ. To surrender and say, Uncle, Lord Jesus, I, I no longer put my faith in myself or my own good works, but I put my trust in you. And I surrender my life to you. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead me, guide me, and direct me. I forsake the old life. I run from sin and I pursue you with all my heart. As Romans 12, 1, I, I, I present myself as a living sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. He was a living sacrifice that died for our sins, but he gave us this all. He gave his all for us. The sixth statement, the sixth statement is um, the disciples and the ladies are off at a distance. They're scared. They're in shock and awe, but you know they're listening. You know they're like, what did he say? What did he say? Okay, okay. I am thirsty. Okay. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So they're hearing these things. And I can't help but to think because of their awesome memory and the Holy Spirit inspiring the scriptures that they wrote to give us his life to think what was going through their heads as he was saying all these things. But the sixth statement that the, the, the disciples and the ladies heard from a distance is found in John 19, 30. It says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The sacrifice for sin is complete. It is paid in full. This phrase, it is finished, in the Greek is one word. It is teleo, Strong's 
uh, G5055. And Blue Letter Bible says this, uh, concerning this, this phrase, it is finished. Blue Letter Bible says, to bring to close, to finish, to end, to perform, to execute, to complete, to fulfill, so that the things done correspond to what has been said in the order's command. The, the, what it took to bring us back to the Father was completed, was finished, it was performed, it was executed, it was completed there on that first weekend. It was it, part one, just part one and part two. Part one took place on Friday, part two took place on Sunday morning. And we're going to celebrate like nobody's business on Sunday morning what he did for us. But on that Friday night, he completed his mission in being the atoning sacrifice. You see, this sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross, it reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it reaches all the way forward. We don't know that exact date when Christ will return. But it reaches, to, it reaches from the past to the present to all those who would trust in the Lord. You see, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all those ceremonies, they were all pointing to Christ. They were all pointing to Jesus. The temple, the brazen altar, the Holy of Holies, the ark, all that stuff was pointing to the cross, was pointing to Christ. See, the Old Testament, our Old Testament brothers and sisters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all those guys, they were looking forward to the sacrifice. You and I today are looking back at the sacrifice with our hearts trusting in him at all times. But this sacrifice reaches back from the beginning of time till the, the future day that we don't know when he will return. But this statement that he says here, when he says, it is finished, um, the application for us today is this statement teaches us that there will be no other sacrifice. This was once and for all, for all time, all eternity. The sacrifice that Christ made at the cross was once and for all and fully sufficient for all from the youngest newborn sinner that needs to be dedicated to the Lord to the most filthiest wretch, which is what I was, the most filthiest wretch that, that it was just completely in darkness and completely far away from the Lord. That cross is sufficient to bring that person into a right relationship and forgive them. The sacrifice, it is finished. It is finished. And I, I like how it says it is finished because Jesus finished it, not us. Because there's nothing we can do. The final statement is uh, found in Luke 23, 46. Luke 23, 46, where Jesus says the final words. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's just such a beautiful statement that each and every one of us should say with our hearts, Lord, into your hands I commit my life. Thank you, brother. Into your hands I commit my life. The, what we have taken place here, as Christ is making this statement, is the eternal son was committing his spirit to the eternal father. In other words, Jesus was trusting in the father. Jesus was trusting in the Father. Through his pain, through his agony, he was putting his trust and his confidence in the Lord. He was 
See, you see, Christ, he was committed. He was committed to the Father's plan. He was committed to the Father's plan. What does this statement teach us in 2021? It teaches you and me that we can trust God. We can trust the Lord. That's the overarching theme of Scripture, is that we put our faith and trust in God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Many of you might know it by heart. It's one of my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That, my friend, is what the disciples and the ladies heard that day. Sunday morning, I may go into this a little bit, um, but he dies. There he is, a bloody pulp, hanging on a tree, and he dies, and their hopes are dashed. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, around verse 1 or 2, it simply just says that the women were going early in the morning before the sun came up, and they weren't going to, they weren't, they were not going to welcome the Lord Jesus back to life. They were going with spices to prepare his body for burial. So that was, that was their thoughts. That was their mind. That was they, what they witnessed. But family, everything is fixing to change. Everything is fixing to change as we move into Matthew chapter 28 on Sunday morning. So we're going to celebrate like nobody's business, his resurrection from the dead. But tonight, let's remember his great sacrifice.